And so, friends, as we reflect on those readings together, let's pray. And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Friends, today is a good day. Today is the church's day. Pentecost is a festival to celebrate community and open ourselves afresh to the work of the Holy Spirit. We remember and we celebrate that the Holy Spirit is a force to be reckoned with. The Spirit is a living presence beyond us that comes and lives in us. And when that happens, we come alive and sometimes in really surprising ways. Today's the birthday of the church too. We get to celebrate God breathing life into this wonderful, frustrating, beautiful, infuriating, welcoming, liberating and imperfect thing that we call church. And although our buildings aren't quite fully open yet, the church is still very much open and alive and at work and praise God for that. And as we celebrate the birthday of the church around the world, it's also an opportunity for me to say how deeply privileged I feel to be part of this church community. It's a deep joy that we get to walk together as disciples of Jesus. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you all for being part of our journey together. We are better because you are part of our church. And it's not just in Acts 2, in our reading this morning, but throughout the book of Acts, that we see this focus on community. There's actually not very much about the trials and sensitivities of individual personalities in Acts. The church community and the God that draws us together are at the centre. The story of Pentecost Day in Jerusalem is, for the church, I guess a bit of a classic it's a story that we return to again and again as a guide for our life together, as we choose to remember and embrace afresh how the Holy Spirit can overwhelm and illuminate us, how the Spirit can make a small voice big and a shy person brave and take our ordinary lives and make them a bright light for the world. At times, the story of Pentecost is one that gives us hope. Sometimes it's one that by looking at it, we find ourselves judged and found wanting. Always, it provides us with an opportunity to welcome again the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we do on this Sunday every year, we celebrate Pentecost. And I hope we never get tired of telling the story of how on that day, that extraordinary day, a group of people gathered together in Jerusalem and something incredible happened. These women and men who gathered there that day, though, they weren't particularly remarkable. They weren't particularly educated. They weren't wealthy. All of them, as we start the reading this morning, are frankly pretty nervous about their faith in Christ. They all believe in Jesus, and yet somehow that hasn't changed them quite. Most of the ones we know anything about have been fairly clueless up to this point, and they've got a lot wrong as well, especially the 12 disciples. They're a mess. They're full of good intentions they are unable to fulfill. But then one unforgettable day, 
those 12 and all the others got together and they got together to pray just as Jesus had taught them to do. And when they did, something amazing happened. Something gets into them from outside themselves. And we're given this strange account which goes beyond what we can reasonably picture and imagine happening. It's an incredible moment. At the dawn of the day, they're gathered there waiting and praying. And the new day then begins with an eruption of sounds from heaven and of wind. Things are coming loose. Things are breaking open. Can it be that the same wine on which, can it be that the same wind, which on the very first morning of all morning swept across the dark waters, the wind of creation we read about in Genesis 1, that wind is again bringing something to life. And what was heard first is then seen, tongues of fire. Now, it's not until verse four that we learn that all of this strange event is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to come back to that in a moment. John the Baptist had said that the Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke playfully expands that these fiery tongues are uh, the gifts of other tongues that the Spirit miraculously enables the assembly to speak. The first gift of the Spirit in this moment is the gift of speech. The gift of speech in different languages. So we're given this story about the eruption of the Holy Spirit into the community And the first fruit of the Spirit is the gift of speech, of proclamation. Now, up until now, the disciples have been pretty quiet. And now they're out on the streets. They're sharing good news about Jesus with neighbours and with strangers. There's such a noticeable difference in them. So much so that everyone around them sees them and wonders what on earth is going on. And this is where the scene shifts from inside the upper room, from where they're all gathered, to the street outside, which the gospel, where the gospel's already drawing a bit of a crowd. They're intrigued, they're looking on, but nothing is very clear yet. We're told that the crowd are amazed and perplexed by the whole thing. They're asking questions that surely everyone's wanting to ask. What exactly is going on and what does it all mean? Maybe there were those who didn't want to know. They'd rather mock, put it all down to having drunk too much wine. The power the church proclaims as the gift of God, they put down as inebriation. In some ways, the breaking of the spirit is unsettling, perhaps even threatening to the crowd. And so they're bound to find some ways to dismiss it to come up with ways to rationalise the irrationality that they see around them. They want to be able to explain it away. But when that whole incredible day was over, Luke tells us that 3,000 people had come to realise that they weren't drunk or crazy. What they were was alive. And 3,000 of them said, we want to be alive like that too. We're turning from our sins. We believe the good news. And so in a few verses here in Acts 2, we get a glimpse of the unfolding story of the early church. And, you know, the way that Luke, who wrote Acts, uh, describes this breakthrough moment with the Holy Spirit, this new beginning, 
reminds me of a similar opening scene that we've heard read this morning from Luke 4, where Jesus visits his hometown synagogue and the congregation turn from being pleased with Joseph's son to very much being not pleased with how Jesus reminds them about the powerful love of God and its capacity to bring change. Acts 2 is a sort of pricey of the rest of the story, just as Luke 4 is. In both situations, the power of God bursts into a conventional gathering of the faithful in a rather unconventional way. In Genesis 2, the Spirit of God breathed life into dust and created people. In Acts 2, the Spirit has breathed new life into those first disciples, including Peter, who's gone from being cowardly to having the gift of speaking boldly and transforming lives through his speech. And Luke goes to great pains to show us how the work of the Spirit is not just something that happens in us, it's something that's about far more than that too. Everything is by wind and by fire. It's speaking loudly, it's buzzing confusion, it's public debate. The Spirit is the power which enables the church to go public with its good news, to engage with the crowd around. A new wind is let loose upon the earth, provoking a storm of confusion and a fresh breath of hope and empowerment. And you know, any time we talk about the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves face to face with a very great mystery. There are things in this life that we cannot predict and control and manage. The Holy Spirit cannot be controlled and managed. There is a mystery about the Spirit, kind of like the wind. And the longer I follow Christ, the more I know that this is to be true. Maybe you found it to be true as well. And so, friends, I do think there is something in our reading this morning about how it takes until verse four for it to become clear that what's happening is the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we find ourselves living in verses one to three, in one to three moments, including in our life together as the church. I wonder if we're not in one of those moments today. We've had the chaos and the upheaval and the challenges of the pandemic. And beyond that, in the year before, we know the truth of the challenges and upheaval that came through navigating all the questions around our statement of inclusion that all churches are going to have to work through at some point. And so as we begin now to gather back together to think about what's next, I'm incredibly hopeful because as we move forward together, we're moving towards our verse four moment where we see even more clearly and directly that the spirit of God has been with us throughout it all. Yes, it's been noisy. Yes, it's been perplexing, but that doesn't mean God hasn't been in it. For as long as the church exists before Jesus returns in all his glory and splendor, there will be verse one to three seasons. But we needn't fear them because just like the watchmen waiting on the walls in Psalm 130, we wait for the Lord like waiting for the dawn. 
God will be with us as surely as the sun will rise. We needn't be fearful of winds of the spirit, even if we can't predict where they will take us. Wouldn't that be so dull if we knew exactly what the future of our church involved for the next 111 years of our life? Pentecost reminds and challenges us that we don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. I know that living that out can be scary. Many of us like certainty and clarity. But friends, I believe this could also be profoundly releasing. We don't have to create the kingdom of God. God is a work in our world, whether we do anything in response to it or not. Instead, we're invited to discover it and unearth it and take joy in it. And thinking this way is the key to becoming less anxiety driven as the church. And instead to become a community where people around us can come and find peace as well as joy. Our calling now more than ever, is to focus on following Jesus together, allowing the unpredictable wind of the Spirit to guide and empower, to make us more who he knows we are. We don't endeavour to do something new simply because yesterday as things have gone past their sell-by date. We will always find ourselves doing new things because God is always doing a new thing, as the prophet Isaiah reminds us. Our creator is still creating. Our calling is not to be attenders or consumers, but to be accomplices of Jesus, partners with God. And in the words of Corrie ten Boom, we need never be afraid of trusting an unknown future to a known God. Or to put it another way, if we want the peace that passes all understanding, we need to give up our right to understand. We are still in the middle of an open-ended story of what Jesus is doing in the world. And the book of Acts must continue to be written by Christians in every age and context. But at our heart, the call for us for the year between this Pentecost and the next one, will involve all sorts of new things, but it will involve discovering them as we devote ourselves to the ancient things of praying, of God's justice, of giving and service, worship and breaking bread and hospitality to Christ in it all. You know, a prayer I've been attempting to pray over these past months, one that a friend shared with me, is, Lord, teach me to care and teach me not to care. I invite you to pray it with me as we go through this next year together. Teach me to care about what matters, to follow the spiritual intuition you give me, to be committed to the truths that we read in the Bible. Teach me not to care about what doesn't really matter. Teach me to not care about what I can and should let go. Teach me to not care about the fact that I don't know what happens next. I warn you, though, it's not an easy prayer to pray, but I think it's a prayer precisely for this moment. Lord, teach me to care and teach me not to care. 
And so as we return to Acts 2, it was chaos and things were changing and they didn't understand what was happening. But Jesus did offer them something. Just before he left earth in Acts 1, just before the New Testament reading that we've had today in Acts 2, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You are going to receive power. Jesus told that timid, reticent bunch of believers that they were going to receive power, and that was exactly what they got. And what is the power of the Spirit? Well, for one thing, it's the power to convict our hearts and minds of our sin. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, who had been so timid all over the place as a disciple, spoke to the crowd under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the people heard what Peter was saying and they felt cut to the heart and said, what should we do? And Peter simply told them about Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection and his power to forgive and to bring new life. And we're told that 3,000 people joined the church that day. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives power too to create community. At Pentecost, people who for as long as anybody could remember had been separated, even hostile towards one another, discovered all the walls coming down and the boundaries being erased. Jew and Gentile, poor and rich, slave and free, female and male, all coming down. This was unheard of. This was unthinkable. And we're told that nobody claimed any possessions as his or her own, but they shared everything they had. What power in the world could bring all of this about? Only the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the best gift that first bunch of Christ followers discovered was that the Holy Spirit has the power to transform lives. You know, not long after Pentecost, Peter was arrested because of his witness for Christ. And Peter, who had once denied Christ three times out of fear, now has the courage to resist the authorities. And he says we have to obey God before anyone else. That's the Spirit's power in somebody's life. And when Peter and John are released from prison, the believers get together and they pray. And they don't pray for their own protection. They don't ask for God to keep them safe. Instead, they pray for greater boldness, which means they're praying to get in more trouble for Christ. In Acts 4, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. No wonder those around them were filled with awe. And there's still so much they didn't understand. And they continued after this moment, of course, to screw it up and get it wrong, even after the Holy Spirit came. I guess in some ways, giving the Holy Spirit to those disciples is like giving the keys of your new Ferrari to a nine-year-old. But what they knew was that Jesus was right. He told them, you'll receive power. And that's exactly what they got. And who can say what the Spirit of God might want to do with any church or with any life, including the one you're living and the one I'm living? Who can begin to know what's possible? Maybe the truest and best thing we could do at this moment, as we look at the example of our forebears in the early church, is to pray.
praying that God's spirit would blow right through all our hesitations about speaking out and living the gospel. Praying that God's spirit would help us to be brave and embrace all the things that God is going to be opening up for us. Praying that God's spirit might unite us together to bless and serve our communities in new ways. Who can begin to estimate what it would mean for me and you and all of us together to be genuinely and radically open to the Spirit of God. Friends, I encourage you today. I challenge you today. I ask you today. Let us embrace the story of Pentecost by being open to the Holy Spirit. May our life together, our church, be open for every new gift of courage and love and generosity and ministry that God is wanting to unlock that God is wanting to release and grow and give. Friends, the Spirit is the engine which drives the church into the world. There's nothing else like the Spirit of God. And there's nothing else we need more today. Friend, the winds of the Spirit are blowing. And I invite you today to simply lift up your sail and let the winds of God take you where you're meant to go. Let's pray together. And so come, Holy Spirit, and move through us with power. Move in our lives with power. Move through your church with power, we pray. With you, everything is so beautifully possible. And so help us to trust in your capacity to see potential where we don't. And we ask today, for the power to be and to do in this world what we're made to be and to do. Give us your power to be your witnesses where we live and to the very ends of the earth. And we ask this in the name of our most precious Lord Jesus. Amen.